Hello, welcome to another episode of the Menswear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker. Today, the audio will be a little bit different because I haven't got my microphones and all my studio gear. They're currently packed away in boxes on the way to another house, moving house this week. So do bear with me for uh, a week or two while I get set up. In the meantime, I'm going to be talking to Dr. Esho today. Dr. Esho is, uh, well, is a self-made millionaire and he is the CEO and founder of Esho Group. A collector of multi-million companies, including Esho Medical, Global Medical Aesthetics Clinics, each with a seven-figure turnover, Esho Pharma, a new medical cosmeceutical company behind the creation of Esho, and Esho Medsets, a premium medical clothing brand for the new age medical professional. It's a great chat. I really enjoyed this one. Hope you will too. Here is Dr. Esho to talk about himself and the brand in his own words. So, as you said, I'm Dr. Esho. Um, I'm resident cosmetic doctor on BBC Morning Live. Um, also a show on Netflix, Netflix Body Fixers. Um, but I'm also founder and CEO of Esho MD Clinics, which are non-surgical clinics across the country, um, Newcastle, London, and Dubai. And then also um, founder and CEO of Esho Skincare, um, which is a targeted skincare range um, now available on QVC and Bill Unique. Okay, um, so where are you spending most of your time? Uh, Newcastle, Dubai? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that would the real be a great answer. I think, <laughs> I think my own missus asked me that own question. Um, it varies. It does change. I think when you have something like I always call it almost a portfolio career where you're doing different bits of stuff, it, it, you could be anywhere. You know, um, I think the dominant time is in the UK and in London, I would say. But at different times of the year, that will switch, you know, across to Dubai or Newcastle. And particularly depending on where I'm filming, a lot of production companies now, BBC has just moved to Manchester. So before I would be filming, you know, fortnightly or monthly segments here, but now they're in Manchester. So, you know, we're, we're everywhere around the place. Um, and I've got an amazing EA who kind of sorts out the rest of my life. So whereabouts do you live? Are you, are you London-based? Yeah, so I, I'm a North London boy, um, born, grew up in Edmonton. Um, it's a pretty rough area, um, but, you know, it, it taught me a lot. Um, but then, I, you know, when I kind of progressed and I graduated from med school, um, I moved to central London, so like London Bridge. Loved that area. Um, did everything, you know, the bars, partying and everything else. And then when it, just, it was time to grow up um, and, you know, with my missus had, decided to have a baby, um, we first picked Wimbledon and that's why one of our sites is in Wimbledon Village because, you know, um, we thought it was a great place like as many parents do for schools, getting into the city and not. But then since then, actually, we just a year ago moved to Cobham, Surrey. Um, it was an area we were looking at. Um, again, much more space, still city, but then kind of not too city, a lot of green areas, a lot of good schools. And yeah, we were really fortunate to be able to find and afford a place there and yeah, I think that's our kind of UK home home now. Um, I would only right. say now the homes abroad, but that's our UK home. Right. Yeah, Wimbledon, uh, you've opened up a new clinic there. Is that right? Is that the most recent? Yeah, um, just before the pandemic hit, you know. <laughs> Great. <laughs> In that way, <laughs> we launched that one on December 1st, 2019. And I think everything kicked off with COVID about January time. Because um, I remember wow. I was at that point seeing the change and, you know, us talking about it in December. And then people started to realize really what we were dealing with starting in January. So, you know, the clinic was closed for a number of that time. You know, even though we had established clinics already, 
it was hard for the investment, you know, um, with our clinics, we do see them, we invest a lot for a particular look. We like them to be boutique high-end, but not feel like you're in a doctor's office because a lot of people have that apprehension when they come in and just see those white walls, white desk and everything else. You know, ours is very polished pasta, you know, wood, you know, that type of design. So you probably think you're buying a high-end watch or bag, not coming in for some facial clinical treatments. Um, but it works very well for us. And yeah, pandemic was hard, but, you know, we were very lucky um, that we had an established network of things of how we do. Because of our Dubai clinic, we were already used to treating clients virtually having a virtual setup system, reviewing and doing things like that. So really we took that methodology and straight away established that into our UK practice. So from skin consultations online, reviewing those photos, everything else, we were able to merge a lot of our business to that side to kind of still continue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Wimbledon, I'm out here in Chivic, so I know the... People that don't really know London that well, being out here in West London is like the perfect place if you're a dog walker, if you're a keen Waitrose shopper, but you're only like 20 minutes on the district yeah. line and then you're in the heart. So you kind of have, you know, depending on your, on your bracket, you almost have like the, the townhouse in the city. This um, is it. So it, it and I think a lot of people have done that now. Interesting enough, you know, I've seen it happening with my friends a lot of people in the pandemic you know the great move or the exodus and i think what it did you know for the, all the bads and hardships it did bring you know we had our son who ended up on a ventilator for you know two months not two two months so two weeks and he was 15 months old so you know we went through it with like a lot of people but the one of the good aspects i think it did was it got people to reflect on what they really wanted out of the life not just work-wise but wellness everything and you know i think a lot of people you know what i'm sitting here in this flat in this central area no greenery and actually for the same money i could get that outside and have space and have these walks and do this and have a better work-life balance um and i think yeah. you know that's that's the positive i've seen in some cases too and you touched on the look of your clinics just uh, tell me a bit more about because I've not had the chance or the opportunity to get in one. Yeah, yet, but yeah. I have reviewed other clinics in central London, and mm. you're right, having that kind of walk-in feel where it doesn't feel like you've got that that kind of dentist from the '80s feel. But then yeah. on the flip side, I've been into clinics before where I've gone up about ten flights of stairs into someone's attic, and you get yeah. prescriptions handed over, and you say, "Can I have that written down?" And they go, "No, you can't." I, look. Kind of things yeah. that you think, well, yeah. this is just yeah. so coach. But then also in these in, in the <clears throat> clinics I went to, and this might be um, of mm. interest uh, interest to you. I, the consultation was good. The uh, the gentleman, the doctor, mm. was very uh, informative and nice. And then he goes, right, go into the, the studio over there, make yourself comfortable. I said, mm. brilliant. He then comes back in ten minutes later, absolutely stinking of cigarettes. And I'm oh, like, this is like a beauty clinic or a wellness clinic yeah. and yeah. then i'm now gonna get like sorted yeah. and inspecting me and i've just got this aroma of you know lucky strike yeah. in the room and i'm yeah. thinking everything that he said has now got kind of this shallow empty vacuous thing to yeah. it. so how do you kind of treat the physical aspect of your clinics like who comes and helps you design those or is it all um so a lot me you know it's interesting enough i'm down to my products everything if i wasn't a doctor i think i'd be a creative because that's how my mind is, you know, even our renovation, <clears throat> the team and I 
do you really need us? Because, you know, I'm picking materials, I'm picking tones. I sit there, my mind's so active. So when I was deciding what clinic I wanted, I always actually look for inspiration outside of the medical industry. So I look a lot at fashion and everything else, and also places we've been. So where Dubai, so you can tell by clinic how I've been affected in bits. So when you go into fragrance, Dubai really affected me in terms of oud. I fell in love with oud in Dubai. I love it as a fragrance I wear myself all the time now. Um, Frederick Mao, um, Portrait of a Lady. And so in clinic, that's what you smell. Since you come in, it hits you. You know, you smell like that oud. It is pumped through the system. It's a nice aroma, not cigarettes. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and also the staff, you know, they do that as a, you know, when we talk about that patient journey, when they have, you know, the therapists are doing the treatments, they have that smell for the patients to smell and they will smell that oil and they will get that sense through them. So they get that in terms of a scent point of view. From a kind of music, we've got our own playlist. So if you go on Spotify, you'll see the Escher playlist. It's what plays for all our clinics. And it's very of a soulful kind of, either what you would find in a kind of cool jazz bar or also at the same time in a cool bar in Ibiza, those slow jams, that type of vibe. And, you know, so many people sitting there shazamming sometimes <laughs> and going, you know, oh, oh, that's amazing, that track. And I'm like, yeah, just pull up the playlist, you know. So it was very important for me, that sensorial journey through all of those bits. And then when it comes into looking, you know, around, I think you see behind me, you know, polished plaster um, and bits in there, it's that kind of more, I kind of got affected when I go and stay anywhere abroad or when I'm traveling, like industrial tones, you know, it's like bronzes, you know, cement, you know, those type of bits there. And I think that, that kind of can look cool and still clinical, but they're not too much of that old dentist office in the end there too yeah yeah it's getting that kind of sweet spot between uh, yeah knowing that you've walked into a place where people know their onions and not walking into somewhere that just feels like it's overkill if that makes sense yes yes completely, um, completely. dr ashley talk to me about some of the the lines that you have the new feel unique and qbc mm. line that's just been launched so perhaps talk about some of those and yeah um so it's always been a vision of mine. I think sometimes when people do what I do, it kind of maybe seems as they're successful. It seems like the next step to do product line. I think particularly during this pandemic, we saw it very celebrity or everybody else. Everybody was coming out of a skincare line. But for me, actually, from the beginning of the start of the inception of me wanting to launch my own clinics, I always had this vision that as my own clinics, I would be using my own products on my patients. I'd be selling my own products to consumers and also using my own devices. And I think in that way, I would be able to control the end result even better um, for them. So that was a big, important thing to me. And so one thing I was known for quite a bit and still is his lips. You know, a lot of people call me the lip doctor um, by nickname because that's something, you know, I was really, really well known for. And so it made sense if I was making the first kind of Ferrari into skincare to focus on that area. Um, I like kind of, when I looked at things, I didn't like people trying to be a jack of all trades at once. You know, I think with brand loyalty as a brand, if you zoom in on a niche or something and they, you get really right and they trust you, then you can then breed loyalty to expand that area. So that's why I really wanted to go into And also because I wanted to look at area where there wasn't really much disruption. When you looked at lip care, it was always this kind of one size fits all. You know, you've got Vaseline and there wasn't really much else. You know, you know, you had a few other brands, but no one was really doing lip care like skincare. 
And I remember thinking that simple concept when I went, yeah, your lips are three layers thin. They don't have its own sebaceous glands. It's more vulnerable than your skin. Yet we have routines for our whole skin regime, our hair, nothing for our lips. So why can't I create skincare for lips, you know, targeted line that will treat different aspects of problems with lips that would be allowed to work in synergy together and build your own routine. And it was such a simple idea, but caught on like fire. And, you know, we very quickly, we launched on QVC in May of last year. We very quickly became their fastest selling lip product line of all time. You know, and QVC, this is against legacy brands, you know, like Elizabeth Arden and everything else. You know, um, we went we went on to Food Unique and sold out there. In total, I think we've been live eight months, had eight sellouts, won five awards. So, you know, we've been in a way where it's just kind of ran away um, but then at the same time, we knew we were onto something when we sat down and thought about it too. Um, so it's come as a surprise so quickly, but also I'm glad I'm realizing what I potentially think it could be in an exciting new stages to come. Amazing. Yeah, it's, it's quite funny lips because I don't think people put as much emphasis on how their lips look compared to other parts of their face. Right. So I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine a lot of people would come to you for maybe like crow's feet or black circles or kind of a Mm. lot of things to do with the eyes might be at the top Mm. of people's agenda when it comes to maybe having Mm. some treatments done. Yet, if you notice someone that does have bad lips, you can't really take your eyes off them when you're talking to them. It's the lips that are like front and center almost because that's where... You're completely right. Like the studies, you know... There's studies that show, you know, when they look at kind of when we observe people, the two big pink characters, the first thing we know is eyes. The next thing we know is are their lips. So, you know, when you're looking at kind of where the eye gathers, it gathers in this triangle, this inverted triangle, and it's flickering between those two areas. So, yeah, people come in on different areas, but the focus is really there, as you said. And particularly for men, you know, I think men particularly, that area definitely is an afterthought where it can be the most damaged area in, in men um, because it's so delicate. And then if you're not doing a skin routine and you're not even doing a lip routine, that area is going to be more vulnerable than your own skin. And, you know, you me right, because I think I said a joke tweet not long ago about men's lips, like say, men, please, you know, um, use lip balm. It's not just for women. Women don't want to be exfoliated when they kiss you. They want to just kiss you. And it went viral. <laughs> it was like on 20,000 likes and things. Because so many women was like, oh my God, yes. You know, and other guys were like, yeah, no, he's kind of right. You know, so <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things where, again, it's the unspoken bits. And I love having a conversation like we're like now. So we can say and go, why are we doing this? You know, I look at male grooming awards. So many times it's not lip category. I'm like, well, men don't have lips now. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. where you would see it in a female category and, and, and would see it there. So it's interesting that. And do guys have different lips than women? Because I know this guy's skins are harder, you know, yeah. and, you know, we have different treatments yeah. and creams, obviously, for guys and women. But so how is it different between the girl's lips and the guy's lips? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's less difference between men and women than there is between ethnic groups. You know, um, in terms of ethnic groups, you know, I'm being black, we tend to have larger lips. And because of that and the larger surface area, we tend to lose moisture more because there's transepidermal water loss between the atmosphere from losing water to the lips. And remember, we don't have sebaceous glands in our lips which produce oil. So we're more vulnerable to getting them dry. So it's not that we need different products, but we probably need more of, you know, more hydrating products of the air to help protect. 
With men, um, typically, depending, it's more about lifestyle, so environment, where it more, more than genetic differences. So with men, it's typically their lips tend to be more exposed, particularly if they're doing outside jobs, recruiting jobs, farming, everything else, which women still do. But if it's a predominantly male-dominated environment, those areas, again, are more likely to have damage. And then you think also, again, with men, are less likely to abuse lipstick in those areas as well. A lot of products that have lipstick are hydrating to here. A lot of men aren't doing that. So if you're not hydrating it via makeup, you're not hydrating it via, you know, skincare products, and then you're working outside in these conditions, really it's a sitting duck for that area to become dry, cracked, and damaged. Yeah. Yeah, I I've spent uh, like a good portion of my adult life on construction sites. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you that the amount of guys that aren't going out there and having chats about yeah. their skincare whilst they're laying brick or, you know, putting up scaffolding. Yeah. Well, this is, I guess this is going back for me about five, 10 years, but does that, has that attitude kind of morphed? Have you seen a different attitude between guys that are now paying a lot more attention to what they need to do with their skin in your line of work? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think you're exactly right. Go back 10, probably even 20 years ago, you know, that was very much the predominant thing. You know, it was men, to men to be men, don't talk about it. I remember when my dad actually walked into the bathroom and saw me moisturizing for the first time and him being a kind of stoic African man was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, moisturizer, you know, like, and he was like disturbed by it, you know, and I was just like, you know, men don't do that. And it's such a crazy thing to, to have, you know, men don't take care of their skin. Why not? You know, but I think that attitude has changed. And I think particularly with social media, but then also as well, because of the influences we see in society, you know, where it was these kind of rugged man, man outside, as you said, we look into man now, the kind of met set or the metrosexual male, where he does groom, you know, he does moisturize, you David Beckham's, you know, things like that. And it makes it more acceptable. I also think the way products are marketed towards men are better. You know, back then, it was stupid. You know, you had to hyper-masculinize something for a guy to like it. You know, skincare, call it grenade, you know, like face <laughs> or, you know, face bomb, you know, like, no, we just want normal Hold skincare, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. And most of the times, guys aren't going there to buy a grenade-like skincare. They're taking what their missus uses in their cabinet. cabinet. So this now more gender-neutral skincare we're seeing, you know, I think is more appealing. And also where we place it. So, you know, I'm a sneakerhead, so I love trainers, but even I've seen that change. You know, most places where you bought trainers, you went in and you bought trainers. Now you buy trainers, there's a grooming section next to it. You know, there'll be things like gels and shaving gels and all of these things. So they're realizing the male patient is changing and even my set has increased. So they probably accounted about 10% of my clinic about 10 years ago. Now men count for about 20%. So that's still rising. Needs more work to be done. And I think Men need to be allowed to have that conversation more. I think in my clinic, we see that the partners may give them permission to have that conversation. So they right. tend to come in with the missus and then she'll say, ask him. And he'll be like, no, no, no. But ask him, go. And, you, you know, <laughs> and then you might go, oh, doc, um, you know, this hair, you know, can you do something about that? And then it's an open conversation. So the, the partner becomes the icebreaker. And yeah, I think, yeah. you know, once you get past that, that it's not needing that icebreaker and we can have that conversation directly. I think we'll see more and more men interested in grooming and taking care of themselves. Yeah, it is a strange thing. I've, I've had this with my girlfriend where I almost feel like I need her permission before I even approach that subject where I'd say, yeah. look, you know, my eyes, I don't, you know, I'm in my early 40s. They're not that bad, yeah. knowing that they're pretty bad. 
And she'll go, we'll give you a few more years and then we'll get you back in, in front of the doctor. Um, but it, you kind of need that, like, uh, that license to go in and have that debate. Or if you're a guy, have that one. Because guys, ultimately, this is me speaking, mm. but guys don't really care that much if they've got a partner because they're, you know, they catch themselves in the mirror every now and again. But they're not mm. the ones that have to look at themselves night and day, where I think yes. women are a lot more and always have been conscious of their looks and how they uh, are perceived through their looks. But with, uh, yeah, with guys, I think it's also, like you say about the social media, a lot of it has come down to what I believe is just narcissism and uh, how mm. it leads to narcissism where you'd be taking a lot more pictures of your face. You're online dating now. You need to have the, mm. you need to have the boat race, the grill, the cash mm. register looking like yeah. prime. And, and then they're, they're just, that's opened up, I'm guessing, so many uh, different avenues and, yeah, I think there's spectrums of that, you know. I think you see it for people that genuinely just want to do it for themselves. You see it because it's predominantly what they look like for everyone else, you know, this kind of incel um, society of people, the guys that, you know, so you've got so many different extremes. But I think, yeah, it is about kind of allowing that conversation to happen because even in my own group of mates that know what I do, you know, I've been there in my kitchen and my mate kind of look at me and then kind of whisper to me, like, you know, what did you, what did you use on your skin? Like, flowing. <laughs> I'm like, why are we whispering? Like, you know, no, no one else is there. Yeah. And like, for them still imagine, they're my mates for like decades and having that uncomfortable <laughs> to say to me, you know, what skincare are you using? You know, and he's, he's a normal guy. He's not like, you know, vain or whatever, but he's probably looked at me for, all right, I'm aging faster than he is right now, you know, Maybe I can ask him, but I don't know how to ask him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, this is a new balm. It's called AK-57 Balm, where you just open the <laughs> yeah. barrel and uh, <laughs> the lip balm will come out and you can apply it. it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then the guys will be like, oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I'm on board now. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, so, I mean, we've, we've talked about the demographic, uh, your main audience. Could you touch upon some of the benefits of these treatments, like the Botox and the fillers, and and like mm. what what are people actually asking you more these days? What are clients yeah. asking? For you? Um, so I think the key thing with what I do, so you know, kind of, I always summarize it. I'm a non-surgical expert, so I do everything before the knife um, to kind of promote an aging and healthy skin. And when I look at that, you know, these are always wants; they're not needs. You know, I always keep saying from when I was in NHS and while now I'm in private practice, then I was saving lives. Now I'm changing lives and that's different. So these things aren't crucial to you, you know, and that's really important to understand um, because you can go on in your life and be completely fine. And women. But if you thought about it correctly and you thought, OK, I'm doing it for the right reasons, which is important for consultation, then they can transform up in terms of confidence and how you feel about particular things. And I think that's a big disparity between the public sometimes thinking about people getting these because they assume everyone getting about them is insecure and they've got terrible mental health issues and why are they messing around with themselves where all of us change ourselves in some ways. You know, we... If we weren't, you know, when we're born and we stay the same, we'll be all running around barefoot, naked, you know, hairy. We all change and alter ourselves, whether it's something simplistic, from a haircut to a style to do. We are all changing ourselves. And I guess it depends on people where that line comes. 
you know, for me, um, in my treatment, it's the biggest thing that people now ask me for. And I think that's changed over the last five years. Now, skin, there's a huge focus on how the quality of the skin looks. You know, before it was more about injectables, Botox, fillers, you know, Botox muscle relaxants to treat fine and wrinkles, fillers to enhance areas or replace volume loss. But now, particularly since the pandemic as well, I think they've seen this catapult focus in terms of skin and the quality of the skin and things that can be done to improve that. And I think that's because of how we see our own wellness. I think after the pandemic, we've been hyper-focused on wellness more than we had before. And part of how we see wellness is how we look, not just how we feel too. And part of how we look, you know, the biggest organ in us obviously is our skin, you know, looking after that and, and making sure that looks healthy. Yeah. And so kind of like, are there any recipes and things that we can do on our own? I know you've got a great range and people can mm. obviously come and, and see you in the mm. clinic, but for those that just want to have like the day to day, like we mentioned, always stay hydrated minimum to yeah. two liters of water. You'd probably say would be a, yeah. would be a, what other things could you do to maybe re-energize your eyes and re-energize? Your oh, definitely. So you know what? It's interesting. So People don't realize when people come into my office and I tell them, I say, half the things you can do are free. You can do them yourself, but it's the ability to commit and do them, you know, and we are the worst as humans for that. It's like you'll see a GP and you go, I'm knackered. I need something to, you know, to, you know, give me energy. And they go, okay, what's your schedule? And you realize you're working 23 hours a day. Okay, that's the problem. You don't need a pill. Mm -hmm. um, so it's these lifestyle adjustments that are free that can have a massive impact. So we talked about drinking water, you know, water's free. You know, you can do that, put it in bottles, have those bottles placed around so you can make sure you're prepped and having that. That has a massive impact on how you feel in yourself, keeping yourself hydrated, not just your skin itself. And having at least two to three liters a day is really important. You know, and that helps around the skin, the eyes everywhere. Um, sleep. None of us are getting enough, you know. Um, we always look at that and we kind of go, particularly when I have a lot of patients for this brand iron. I take about a history and they're getting three, four hours of sleep a night. And they say, well, that's a huge focus and the reason why, you know, so by adjusting sleep and having good sleep hygiene habits, there's many apps there that can help with the circadian rhythm and improve your sleep, like the Calm app and many more. These are things that can help once you get in a better quality of sleep, therefore have a big effect, not just on how you feel, but how you look. Um, SPF, I always say this to people when I talk about skincare, the one thing that people can have against any skincare range, even my winter, is SPF. It's cheap, it's affordable, it's everywhere, um, and it lasts for ages. And applying SPF every day, not just in the summertime, every day, minimum 30, really can help from an anti-aging point of view. And not just anti-aging point of view, but also as well, reducing the chances of skin cancer, which is very important too. And then I think the final ones are exercise and diet. You know, I know mine's slacked. Um, these last months, you know, and now I feel better by getting back into a regime just by looking at what you're eating, regular meals, you know, not processed meals, you know, and then also looking at then also e exercising at least three times a week. These again, your skin is an organ, you know, um, it transfers things, it takes nutrients from the blood, you know, it connects to the outside. The more healthy your body is, the more healthy it's going to look. So by doing those simple things to yourself outside, even going, even taking a step and buying a skin regime, you can dramatically change, you know, your skin and how you look. Yeah. Yeah. The, the uh, SPF was something that I clocked onto going back to my construction days. And I remember yeah. on a lunch break going into the canteen and applying some cream that had the SPF in it. 
and mm. uh, getting ridiculed by my mates saying, uh, look, it's, it's not even sunny out. And, you, know, you know, oh, check out this guy, Lardy da with his new uh, SPF <laughs> cream. I was like, guys, we're going to be outside in like for about 10 hours. It, I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's not sunny, but you still have UV light and that's just doing nothing but attacking your skin. It's just like isn't relentless, it? isn't it? So, uh, yeah. and we're learning more and more about light. You know, I think you probably heard a lot about blue light, the screens now, and you know how that's aging us. You know, and people have gone, oh God, you know, well, what can I do there? Um, and it's just being aware of your exposure to the environment around you, whether that's outside, like you said, for prolonged periods of time, or in front of this green for a prolonged period of time. All of these different rays, whether it's blue light or behave, you know, um, with the screens or UVA and UVB rays at a prolonged exposure can increase photoaging and damage into your skin. So just making sure you're protected and also reducing that time where necessary too. Tell you who's going to have great skin this year, mm. just off the top of my head, is uh, Kanye West. Because yeah. he's now going everywhere, covered up in this kind of like all over mask. So he's not getting hit by a blue light, UV light, no light. He's just going to come out looking 10 years younger when he reaches. I'm worried about his vitamin D. I'm worried about his vitamin D. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's one of them uh, masks that kind of inject a little bit of vitamin D or something. I don't know. But yeah, he's, uh, he's going to be looking pretty, pretty tasty when he gets that thing yeah, off. Um, I digress. Uh, Dr. Ashley, are you available for virtual consults as well for the people that can't physically get to the clinic? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we always were, but it's something that became increasing in popularity since the pandemic. Um, you know, we have a global clientele base of over 50 different countries. So for people regularly across the world, we are doing virtual consultations. But now, obviously, people within the UK more do it from traveling, whether it's from a further pace in the UK itself, or trying to reduce their movement um, down. You know, people's lives have changed, people working from home. So to have the convenience like we're speaking now, you know, where we would have maybe done a meeting elsewhere or sat in a room together to do this, it makes it much easier for people. And people sometimes do worry about, oh, a virtual consult might not be the same. You know, I might be getting less. But actually, no, you know, we usually get people to send preset standardized photos, which is an easy way to do beforehand, and also have the conversation directly. And then when they come in with the provisionally put treatments, we still rediscuss those in person. So if it's someone that is low for time or, you know, far away, a virtual consult is the perfect choice for them and it will get lots of value. Awesome. And people can find more information over on the website, ashoclinic.co.uk, and we'll leave all the links over on the show notes on menswearstyle.co.uk. Dr. Eshu, thanks so much for your time. Great talking to you. Thank you for having me, mate. And uh, hopefully catch you down in Wimbledon next time I'm there. Yeah, definitely. Has to be, mate. You've been listening to the Menswear Style Podcast. Be sure to head over to menswearstyle.co.uk for more menswear content and email info at menswearstyle.co.uk if you'd like to be a future guest on the show. Finally, please help support the show by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time.